the cycling podcast powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Season's greetings, Daniel Freib and Lionel Burney. Hello, Daniel. Hello, chaps. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, Lionel. I was wearing Hello. my... Hello. We were supposed to record yesterday. I got a bit mixed up with the timings. And I was wearing my elf t-shirt yesterday. My sister brought me in. Um, she bought me an elf t-shirt. I'm very, very fond of that. Well, Lionel's uh, disappeared. I suspect Lionel's gone to find some appropriate headgear or, or some kind of outfit for this. Not that that is oh, going is. to make any difference oh, to God. listeners whatsoever. Oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> look like Timmy Mallet. <laughs> uh, these are my novelty Christmas tree glasses, um, which my daughter thinks are hilarious. I think, um, I, I, think I prefer the old not-fun Lionel. Yeah, I know. You've changed life. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, I wasn't holding my microphone there. I just got into the Christmas spirit way too much. But hopefully that... Who, who's in charge of uh, get, capturing screenshots during this oh. call for the, old, for the social well, media? Um Yeah, there we go. You look like a cross between Dame Edna <laughs> Everidge and Tim, Timmy Mallet. Uh, well, that's, uh, that's, anyway. that's the Australian and the British listeners catered for. Any, any American references? <laughs> Well, well, sort of Elton John, I don't know, maybe sort of Elton 70s John. era Elton yeah. John. Elton John, yeah, it's a strange cocktail. Um, the, well, these are, these, are, these are not prescription novelty glasses either, so I actually can't see you prescription at all, you're Christmas just two, trees. two weird blurs there on, on my screen, so I put my normal well, normal glasses back on, and I mean, and now... In, in stark contrast to, to Fun Lionel... Um, Daniel's in his back in his movie star casket, and I'm wearing a Super Sapiens T-shirt. Ah, so very on I'm brand. Very on brand. I'll, I'll keep the Santa anyway. hat on and the the reindeer antlers, though, um, if that's all right. Lovely. That's nice. That'll keep us in the festive spirit. This is our last uh, episode, regular episode of 2021. Uh, there are treats coming up over the Christmas period for friends of the podcast. The Christmas selection box coming together nicely. That'll be coming out between Christmas and New Year, so lots to keep you busy then. But this is the last regular episode of the year, and uh, and what a year it's been. Um, 10 million people listen to the Cycling Podcast this year. 26,000 people every day press play on an episode of the Cycling Podcast, which I find a, an even more remarkable statistic. It's practically a pandemic, isn't it? The Cycling Podcast. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. It's certainly more than a, a Watford home game. I think uh, it's uh, putting Watford yeah. in the shade. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, our Tour de France uh, audience would almost fill Wembley Stadium, I think, wouldn't it? Everybody in oh, Wembley Stadium, us just better. in the middle of the pitch with a, with a table and three microphones and three cold beers, just talking to the whole of you Wembley. your Santa Claus hat and your funny glasses. <laughs> For yeah. Uh, yeah, well, anyway, enough of that image. That doesn't help, does it? This is our alternative awards we're calling we were searching around for a name for this i i was quite happy with with my name that i coined for the, these awards the chisaris because it hints at the the french oscars called the caesars and we've got chisari benedetti in this episode and it continues the the roman theme of the annus galacticus series so well phew. i i thought maybe the uranus galacticus would be a more appropriate this, name. I don't know. This came on the back of me recommending the Moonies um, <laughs> after the now very infamous um, gaff that I made earlier in the year. I want to move on well, from I that. Well, I do really. Daniel. I do really. And the um, the whole galactic, galactic theme 
Um, the Moonies, of course, fame. Well, everyone knows what a Moonie is, do they? I think the Moonies are is a word that people use. It's a quite a well known in the it, planet. It, is well, it a planet, yes, there's that. And there was a film in the eighties, <laughs> wasn't there? The Moonies, a bit of a cult film, uh, which I don't really remember what it was about. We're not very good on astrology, astronomy, and things like that, are we? We've we've made boo-boos in that regard before. But anyway, got lots of fun categories coming up. We're also going to hear uh, from some writers. We've got Tim DeClerc, Cesare Benedetti, Connor Swift, Ian Boswell, uh, Pavel Sivakov, uh, Ashley Moulman Passio. We'll be hearing from some of our team of presenters as well with some of their nominations for alternative awards for the year. Um, Lionel, I think, is looking up whether the, whether the moon is a planet. I, I think we'll let the listeners um, interject with a massive corrections corner on that <laughs> at some date in the future. <laughs> uh, anyway, have we got a news roundup, Lionel? No, we haven't got a news roundup this week, Richard. We have got our first award, though, and it's the award for the latest reveal of a Grand Tour route for 2022. And... Well, for the 23rd year in a row, the winner is the Vuelta a España, which unveiled its route for next year yesterday. Uh, Daniel, what are your thoughts on the 2022 route? I've only looked at the map briefly and sort of picked out the highlight stages, but what did you make of it? Well, it looks very exciting, uh, Lionel, to be honest. Uh, the start in the Netherlands, as we all knew and anticipated, three stages in the Netherlands. And um, then the race goes to the Basque Country, a very, very hilly sort of remainder of the first week. Um, then a massive transfer. I'll come on to the transfers in a minute. And um, the race goes, well, towards the southeast corner of Spain. Um, towards well the Costa Blanca initially and then Murcia and then the there's a final sort of mountain well not quite a, a penultimate um, sort of mountain swing in the mountains of Andalusia in well the Sierra Nevada then we go back to La Pandera or rather before Sierra Nevada we go to La Pandera which is a famous very steep typical Vuelta climb we've been to in the past and then um, well the race I guess will be decided in the Sierras sort of north and west of Madrid as is now traditional um, on stage 20 the race finishes on top of the um, Navaserada which is a famous famous mountain pass um, outside Madrid but you know the other day in our press conference I sung the welter's praises for its um, efforts to limit the environmental impact of the race and then they proceed to unveil a route with two absolutely mammoth transfers and the first one from the Netherlands to the Basque Country the second one which is um, from um, Asturias to, as I said, near Alicante, and that's over 900 kilometres. There's not really too much option but to take a plane there for most people. Certainly, I think the riders will be flying um, an hour and a half plane journey. And even the third um, rest day, as we know, there are three rest days because the race starts on a Friday. Um, even that is all the way across Andalusia, and it's quite a long old poke. So, a bit of a thumbs down as far as as far as the carbon footprint of that race is concerned. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. And now you can wear the Super Sapiens Energy Band, 
the first and only wearable that can display real-time glucose data directly from Abbott's LibreSense Glucose Sport Biosensor. The Super Sapiens Energy Band is available at supersapiens.com for €159. Euros. Thanks very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens. Super Sapiens came on board with the Cycling Podcast in May and they have been title sponsoring all our episodes across the whole Cycling Podcast family, Cycling Podcast Femina, Service Course, Explore, everything that we do um, and come to zero at the Grand Tours as well, sponsored by Super Sapiens. So we're incredibly grateful to them for teaming up with the Cycling Podcast this year and being uh, so supportive in what we do. Um, let's hear a little bit about Super Sapiens from a rider who's been using Super Sapiens. That's Alexis Ryan of Canyon Shram. I had a pretty good nutrition plan when it came to training, but obviously with the biosensor, I was able to fine tune my nutrition plan because it's something that you see in real time. And okay, you have a plan of eating every 25 minutes, but with the live monitoring, I can modify and think, okay, I need to actually eat every 20 minutes when I'm doing this sort of ride or every 15 minutes when a hard workout. So yeah, it's it's been super beneficial for fine-tuning energy intake. You know, one eye-opening realization was alcohol and especially beer. Beer really, really spikes the blood sugar. So it just reaffirmed like, okay, no wonder I feel poorly after drinking a beer or no wonder I sleep poorly after drinking a beer because this is what it does to my body. I mean, every once in a while you need to drink a beer just to for your mental health and relax a little bit, but it's good to know that like, all right, well, this is what I need to do to be the best athlete and to get the most out of my training and get the best recovery when it comes to sleep. Well, chaps, on with the Cesare's, Mooney's, Uranus, Galaxicus. Um, Cesare's. Cesare's. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We've got, this is a Veneto all over again, isn't it? Uh, I can confirm before we move on that the moon is a planetary mass object. Um, it, some people call it a, a planet. It, there's a question: Is it a star or a planet? It's a moon. Uh, it's a it's a planetary mass object. There we go. I know we have at least one listener who works for NASA, so uh, I'm sure we'll be corrected on this. Of course, on with pretty, on with pretty course. basic stuff. This for someone who works for NASA, isn't it? I mean, you know, will he will he <laughs> he'll, he'll have he turned or she down to correct I, I I remember pointing out on Twitter, I think earlier this year, that um, the first account ever followed by Tadej Pogacar on Twitter was NASA. Wow. Well, well, well. Maybe he maybe he fancies riding the equivalent distance to the moon <laughs> uh, or altitude. Anyway, on with the first category. What is it, please, Daniel? The first category, chaps, it's a, a pretty simple one, a pretty serious one. They're definitely not flesh well on race of the year or race day of the year. Uh, the nominations are... The world, cham- the world Championships Road Race. The final stage of the Tour of the Basque Country. Stage 5 of Tirreno Adriatico. Stage 7 of the Tour de France. Finishing at Le Creusot. Strade Bianche. And indeed, that concludes... Oh, no, and the, there is a final one. Um, stage 17 of the Vuelta a España to the Lagos de Covadonga. Brief brief mm. recap of what occurred on some of those well, some of those that people may have forgotten. World's mm. World Championship Road Race. Well that was won by Junior Alaphilippe. It was a it was a humdinger, wasn't it? Action all day, early attacks, Remco Evanapool and and then some really top riders in the mix at the end, uh, a bit of a 
a war of attrition in the final uh, final stages of that race with Alaphilippe finally getting away on the penultimate lap, wasn't it, of the of the Leuven circuit. Um, then the final stage of the Tour of the Basque Country, well, Brandon McNulty of UAE started that in the leader's jersey. It had been a cracking race all week and McNulty was sort of broken or crumbled by, well, mainly by Astana. It was a fantastic attack early in a very short stage by Astana over the top of a climb and the race got split apart. Primoz Roglic found himself on the right side of the split and then he... Hugh Carthy and David Gordou, sort of well, three up time trial to the finish, and it was very close run affair. Looked like Pogacar might win the race at one point, and looked like Roglic might win at one point, and McNulty, of course, was in the leader's jersey, and it was Roglic that finally won. Stage five, Tirreno Adriatico. Chaps, you remember that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Belter. What? Remind Belter. us what happened there, Rich. Um, well, that was the stage where uh, Matthew van der Poel attacked with a, a gel in his mouth, wasn't it? Um Horrific weather, cold, rainy. He attacked to keep warm, he said. Uh, his father, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, his father called it the best performance of his career that day. And maybe maybe blunted his edge for Milan Sanremo uh, later on. But it was just uh, a sort of, almost a mini version of stage nine of the Tour de France, wasn't it? Where the weather had a big bearing and made made the stage all that more epic i suppose and we saw pogacar Wat van art you know trying to become a stage race rider riding in a slightly different way at Treno adriatico all these big guns were out out to play and it was it was one of those occasions where uh matthew van der poel um made made it look not easy but um as if he can almost do what he wants and when he can when he turns it on like that he is uh, irresistible and then, f- continuing the nominations, um, Estrada Bianca, Lionel, I'll leave you to recap that one for us, or just... Well, Estrada Bianca, Matthew van der Poel did win with that, uh, well, it was an extraordinary acceleration into Siena, wasn't it, up the final climb, uh, making Julian Alaphilippe and Egan Bernal look um, fairly pedestrian by comparison, but it wasn't just that, was it? It was the composition of that break, which was basically everybody in the world, plus... Michael Gurgle, and just the way the race kicked off, the way it looked, everything about it was classic and befitting of a monument, really, other than, you know, the the overall distance, I suppose. But Strada Bianca really kind of, I felt, grew up this year and was, uh, well, I think as your list suggests there, the, certainly one of the best two one-day races of the season. Stage 17 of the Vuelta España, well, Rich, you and I have pretty vivid memories of that day, don't we? Yeah, again, the weather uh, was a, a factor, wasn't it, Daniel? Um, it was it was grimy, miserable, grey, wet, cold weather. And Egan Bernal, on the back foot, really took the race to Primoz Roglic that day. And I think our experience of it was coloured by uh, how, how we watched it. We didn't watch it on TV. We couldn't really see pictures, although we, we squeezed into... A, a steamy bar uh, to catch a bit of it on the on the telly, and then stood roadside, and uh, were pretty flabbergasted when Bernal went past with Roglic on his wheel. And it was early in the stage, and it was a stage to Lagos de Covadonga, which is the Vuelta's equivalent of 
Alp d'Huez or something. Yeah, and we don't have a category for performance of the year, but that would have been my vote for performance of the year by Primoz Roglic, precisely because Rich, it didn't really change much, as you say. Um, Roglic didn't really have to do it. He could have just nursed his existing advantage all the way to Santiago de Compostela, but um, that was a very bold piece of riding by Primoz Roglic. But to take into account the title of this category, the definitely not flesh well own race day of the year, I think the prize has to go to stage seven of the Tour de France, won by Matej Mohoric, because the gap between expectation and delivery was absolutely vast. When you watch flesh well own, you know 99.9% what you're going to get, the, the as you call it, Daniel, the uphill cheese roll on the Murdehui, uh, the slow motion sprint, uh, the, the rider who obviously misjudges it, and then the rider who gets it right. Um, on all you know the world championships you hope will be a great race Strada Bianca has all the ingredients for a great race you know even the Vuelta stage was um, was finishing at Lagos de Covadonga which is a a really storied uh, location but that tour stage to Le Cruzo suggested absolutely nothing uh, on paper Uh, 249 kilometers across the kind of the the supposedly bland bit of the middle of France Um, and what we were treated to was an, a complete humdinger, you know, Van Aert, Van der Poel, uh, Mark Cavendish, so that's, you know, the yellow jersey, the green jersey in the break, um, who else was in there, Kasper Askelin, who'd won the Tour of Flanders, of course, Jasper Sturven, Victor Kampenart, and Mohoric, and it wasn't just the, the riders that were in there, and the fact that it kicked off, um, and just went hell for leather from so far out it was the fact that once the break was established it it didn't then lull into oh well this is now just a breakaway day and there was still exciting racing going all the way to the line and the way Mohoric won it was impressive so in terms of the gap between what we thought might happen and what actually happened that was the outstanding anti-fleshwell-owned day of the year for me and the winner is (laughs) and the winner is stage five of Tirreno Adriatico (laughs) Um, well, I'll say no, that. Are you, are you saying stage seven of the tour? I'm going to say stage seven of the tour. I'm going to get my cycling podcast brown envelope out. And uh, yeah, stage seven of the Tour de France is the winner of the first award. Okay, I'll say world championships then. Uh, yeah, I would have I would have said last stage of Tour of the Basque Country just to be you know, no, history. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> well, it's good to disagree. Uh, our, the listeners can decide. Um, can we have our next category, please, Lionel? Yes, this is the Sex and the City Comeback of the Year Award. Mark Cavendish at the Tour de France. COVID-19. Alejandro Valverde at the Giro di Sicilia. Stephen Williams at the Tour of Croatia. Rog at the Olympics and Vuelta. And Lionel Burney at the Tour de France. Well, I mean... Very eclectic mix there. I mean, (laughs) most of them... I know what gets my vote. Most of them are pretty obvious. Mark Cavendish at the Tour de France requires no explanation. COVID-19, I think everyone um, is is pretty au fait with um, the nature of that comeback. I mean, it's the least it's the least wanted comeback since Lance Armstrong in 2009 yeah. for me, I have to um, say. Alejandro Valverde at the Giro di Sicilia. Um, well, he had crashed out of the Vuelta a España and, you know, at 41 years of age, people thought that might even be the end of his career. And no, um, just over a month later, he was back racing and winning, indeed, at the Giro di Sicilia. Uh, Stephen Williams, a uh, very promising British rider who had starred at the Baby Giro, among other races, as an amateur, turned pro um, for Bahrain Victorious, and had really disappeared off the face of the earth um, because he had been suffering with a terrible knee injury, which had basically wiped out 
two years of his career and slowly been making his way back to the to sort of comp- being competitive in world tour racing and then um, well at the tour of croatia he was um, the, the pick of the bunch and he won convincingly there so that was a fantastic story for him and then we had Primoz Roglic at the Olympics in the Vuelta. Well, that was obviously on the back of him crashing out of the Tour de France. And, um, yeah, came back and had a fantastic sort of Indian summer to his season. And then um, Lionel at the Tour de France. Um, not sure that requires any explanation for regular listeners. Well, for me, it comes down to um, the, the two the two big guns at the Tour de France, Cavendish and <laughs> I was going to say, this is your... <laughs> This is your probably your final opportunity, your you two's final opportunity of the year to upset Mark Cavendish again um, for the umpteenth <laughs> time the, the, of twenty twenty one. Just just, bri- just just briefly though, um, mentioning Stephen Williams, should mention Scott Davis, his teammate at Bahrain, victorious, has announced his retirement. He's had a terrible time of it more recently with injuries and so on. And at twenty six, he's decided to call it a day. He, he was at Dimension Data before Bahrain. He kept an audio diary for us at the Vuelta last year um and uh, it's sad that he's retired but he released a very full statement and uh obviously has plans for the future so we wish him the best of luck i think comeback of the year really has to go to like i mean mark cavendish doesn't it um i there think can't be any real debate about it's that. comeback of the century isn't it um yeah it could be it's one of the greatest comebacks we've seen in professional cycling i would suggest i mean that's certainly what um, the cover of his book um, <laughs> implies <laughs> recently. God, this book is, <laughs> is this this section is sponsored by the ghostwriter of <laughs> no. one of Mark Cavendish's book. I mean, <laughs> oh, the the biggest revelation here is that um, Mark Cavendish may possibly have listened to the cycling podcast to take umbrage with whatever we have said. Um, that's uh, well. That's if you're listening now, Mark, um, I didn't. I, I disassociate myself from any remarks made that may have offended you and uh, I know Lionel uh, sticks by his comments that he made about the Tour of Turkey. Hi Richard and guys of the Cycling Podcast I'm uh, Tim Leclerc I'm already a rider for I have to think I think five years now for uh, the Queen Quick Step and uh, at the end of the year I also want to give my nominees in a uh, one of the categories um, I could yeah, pick one of uh, of, every, of everyone. Uh, uh, we have a lot of uh, of great teammates. We also have some still some uh, guys who are quite underrated riders, like for example uh, Bert van Lerberg. But there are still a lot other other guys in the in the bunch. But in the end, I uh, chose to have Tom Steels as my nominee. Um, of course, most of of you guys know him, but uh, yeah, I just want to highlight that for me he's a, a big part of our success. Um, he, I do most of my training myself, but still he keeps a, he keeps an overview of what I'm doing. But also in preparation of the races, he's really really good. He, he looks into all the parkours and everything. But most of all, what I like the most is that he keeps uh, things, like we say, in a, in a human perspective. He always uh, not only kind of looked after us for a, in a physical point of view, but also mentally. Um, 
he always take care that that we uh, that we feel good and and people that feel good always perform a little bit better I think so uh, that's a, a big chapeau to him and that's what I wanted to highlight in this uh, category. Ciao guys, bye bye. And the next category, chaps, is an old favourite of the cycling podcast, the Heimar Zubeldia Prize for sneaky excellence. <laughs> I like I like the way that's worded. Sneaky excellence, not not riding in a, such a way that nobody notices you for, for three weeks and then spots that you were uh, sixth overall on GC. But sneaky excellence, I like it. And the the contenders for this award are Wilco Kelderman. I mean, who? What? what where? Where did Wilco Kelderman finish at the Tour de France, Lionel? Without looking it up. Well, by definition, exactly. top ten. I was gonna. I was gonna say. I fifth. there's only one fifth. of these performances. Fifth. Wow. There's only one of these performances I even remember. <laughs> Andre Lutsenko eighth in the Tour de France. Pau Bilbao ninth at the Tour and thirteenth at the Giro. Mattia Catania twelfth in the Tour, which is quite remarkable. I was watching the latest instalment of the De Kernic Quick Step. Uh, Tour de France uh, inside story and a reminded that he finished second on that stage nine to Ben O'Connor uh, to Tinia, which is quite remarkable. And Michael Gogol, sixth at Strada Bianca. I mean, um, he was the Austrian interloper in that race, of course. I think that Wilco Kelderman has to win that one mm. hands down. Fifth at the Tour in a Tour that um, was, uh, you know, kind of, a memorable race. I mean, I, I do, I do re- recall him not being so sneaky in the first few days and actually riding really well um, on stage one and to murder Britannia as well, um, suggesting that he was in great shape. And then he wasn't quite so visible uh, for the rest of the race, but managed to finish fifth overall. So obviously uh, had a, um, a relatively clear run at it and was in great shape. Um, and, you know, he finished third at the Giro the previous year, didn't he? So fifth at the Tour, a very good result for him. Uh, and uh, his uh, team, Bora Hansgrohe, are, of course, remodelling themselves as a, a GC team uh, from next year, aren't they? I, I would have said Lutsenko, because, just because I suspect that he's on a slow, sneaky, inexorable march to, to colonise, to dominate, annex the whole of professional cycling, because he's announced his objectives for next year. And they include the Tour of Flanders, podium at the Tour de France, I think the World Mountain Bike Championship, the World Cyclo Ball Championship. I mean, this guy's ambitions, <laughs> no no bounds. Well, and he, won, just... he won that gravel race. He won Filippo Bozzato's gravel well, there race you go. as well, let's not forget. Yeah, and um, I mean, helped by the fact Lutsenko, I suppose we always think that he passes under the radar, partly because, um, I mean, he does, he speaks a bit of Italian, he speaks a bit of English, but he's one of the... The last remaining riders, really, in the World Tour, which has become so sort of Anglophile, really, um, or Anglophone, that doesn't easily communicate with the media. So there's a lot of mystery about Alexei Lutsenko, not least the fact that if you look on Wikipedia, his spouse is called Yelena Lutsenko, and his parents, both parents, are both called Yelena Lutsenko, which is slightly alarming. Well, we won't see Wilco Kelderman in Bora Hansgrohe colours next year, of course, because he'll be wearing the invisible jersey all season as the winner of the Heimar Zabeldia Prize. I should have given a little bit of credit, uh, quite a lot of credit for the Heimar Zabeldia meme to uh, erstwhile colleague Edward Pickering, because it's one of the things we used to talk about 
when we were on Cyclesport and uh, he probably came up with the whole concept and I, I just typed the keys into um, the magazine, I guess. But uh, yeah, the Heimar Zabeldia Prize for just anonymously finishing in the... You've got to be in the second half of the top 10. And that, I think that's the criteria, really. Outside the top 10 is is one of those, oh, that's a surprising performance. So yeah, fifth is not quite the second half of the top 10, but it was... It was so incognito. Kelderman deserves the prize. The the sort of uh, auxiliary award, sort of parallel award to this, which we haven't actually officially noted down among our prizes this year, um, would be the Darwin Atapuma um, GC <laughs> Yo-Yo GC Boomerang the Boomerang Award, and that would there's no doubt that that would have been won this year by Guillaume Martin, who has made an absolute art of. So spiraling spectacularly out of the GC only to reposition himself by virtue of a long range break and he did it did it at the Tour and at the Vuelta and I think I'm right in saying finished in the top 10 of both just your mention of Ed Pickering there Lionel we should we should uh, mention the the very sad demise of Pro Cycling Magazine and uh, it, that has actually inspired one of our Selection Box episodes we're going to be talking about the, the magazines that we grew up with reading and working on when we began as journalists. So it's a, a lament for the, the monthly magazine, I suppose, and uh, why, it's still, why it's still great and deserves to survive. That will be one of our episodes in the Christmas selection box. Hello, I'm Ashley Momenpasio from the SD Works team, and I'd like to nominate our Swaneers, Ramses and Smiley under the category Unsung Hero. These guys are are like angels for us. I mean, the amount of work and the long hours that they work um, in preparation for races and then on race day to make sure that everything is taken care of um, from recovery to um, nutrition to um, just making sure that we can perform at our absolute best on race day. I mean, the number of different jobs and and all the different things that they have to do is just um, so incredible and they, they do it um, with a smile on their face and never complaining. So, um, you know, we certainly couldn't um, do what we do without them and we certainly couldn't perform at the level that we do without them and often their work um, is very much unnoticed and um, is not celebrated at all. So um, I would really like to nominate them and as an appreciation and um, a thank you from all of us for everything that they do. Hey Cycling Podcast, uh, Pavel Sivakov here from the Ineos Grenadiers. Um, the unsung hero. Um, I thought I thought that's a good one. Uh, I would pick. Uh, I would pick my former coach, um, Tim Kerrison. Uh, I've been working with him for two years now, and obviously, uh, as it was um, reading in the press uh, not so long ago, he's he's now leaving the team and. I know yet about leaving the sport for the moment, but leaving leaving our team after whew, ten years, he was there from the start until the end, and he yeah, he was one of the um, yeah of the head guys um, in the team really, uh, coming from a different background, swimming and rowing. He came into cycling, uh, joined Team Sky in the beginning. Uh, yeah, <laughs> really clever guy, good coach. He, yeah, 
I, I had the chance to, to work with him for two years. You know, for me, it was a big thing. Uh, I knew his background. I knew he coached for me, uh, G and Wiggins to on their two, two wins. So, you know, as a young guy, uh, being coached by him for me was, was like kind of, yeah, I, I felt in a way privileged. So yeah, it was two, two really, two really good years for me. I learned a lot, a lot, and uh, yeah, you know, just um, just gave me that opportunity to, to to spend a lot of time with the, let's say, the big riders. Uh, G threw me, you know, on the training camps, um, really seeing how they do things, how how they prepare themselves. Obviously, all that he brought into the sport as well. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, he changed a bit the approach, really, uh, with all that uh, Team Sky train. Uh, the, the way we prepared in that time, uh, that's, I wouldn't say it's only his credit, but he played a big part in that. And uh, for me, he would be one of the, these unsung heroes. Thanks for that, guys. Thanks for uh, catching up with me. Uh, always, always happy to give to give a little my little uh, opinion or just just whatever to to the cycling podcast to to participate. Um, so yeah, cheers. Have a good Christmas uh, and yeah, and have a good run into the into the new year, two thousand twenty-two. And speak soon. Cheers. Bye bye. That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by the Hammerhead Carew 2 cycling computer, which I've been using for the past few months, and if you've listened to my latest episode of Explore, you'll know that I used it on my 12 Hills of Christmas ride, which is a sort of homemade sportive, I suppose. Um, taking in 12 climbs near to my home and although I didn't need the Karoo 2 to give me turn by turn directions because I know these roads like the back of my hand it nevertheless gave me some really interesting data as I was going round not least uh, counting me down to the next climb so I'd know oh there's only four kilometers to go till I start climbing again and then on the climbs themselves the climber feature really comes into its own telling me how far there is to go to the top and giving me real-time gradient changes um, so I know when the steepest parts of the climb are coming up. And that's really added a different dimension to riding roads that are already very familiar to me. I plotted the route on the Hammerhead dashboard. That was really easy. The route then uploaded seamlessly over my Wi-Fi to the Karoo 2, so it was ready to select when I wanted to go for the ride. And... At this time of the year when I'm wearing winter gloves, I was really impressed with the responsiveness of the touchscreen display. Despite wearing gloves, it still works. You can scroll from screen to screen. And uh, I've said before that the the actual visual display on the Hammerhead Crew 2 is really smart. Um, almost matte finish, but really nice graphics, really easy to read when I was riding. And if that sounds like a cycling computer that you would like to give a try, for a limited time, until January the 6th, in fact, you can trade in your existing cycle computer and trade up to a Karoo 2 at hammerhead.io trade and get yourself £125 off the cost of a new Karoo. Uh, that's around $170 in the US. 
So it's a limited time offer. It's extended to January the 6th. You can get £125 off when you trade in your current cycling computer. That's $170 in the US. So go to hammerhead.io slash trade and trade up to a Karoo 2 today. Well, Daniel, can you uh, introduce our next award, please? Well, the next award, Rich, is the Oleg Tinkoff. Um, do we miss Oleg Tinkoff? Um, he's, he's had a, I think he's had a bit of a rough year, hasn't he? Um, convictions for tax fraud in the United rough States. Rough couple of years, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's the Oleg Tinkoff quote of the year. He was a famously quotable Russian team owner um, of a few years ago. The nominees, Mark Cavendish. Um, sh- do I need to do the voice? No, I'm not doing the voice. Um, yes. No, no. We've um, we've declared a, a, a ceasefire vis-a-vis Mark Cavendish. Um, this isn't about proving anyone wrong, but half of the people in the press room haven't written a good story about me in years. But I'm still here at the Tour de France. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> has that coincided with us largely moving into broadcasting? <laughs> <laughs> Next nominee, Odd Christian Iking, um, who held the red jersey at the Vuelta for a few days. Of course, I prefer the cold. I'm almost from the North Pole. On a similar note, Chris Yule Jensen. Vingegaard, Jonas Vingegaard, is as cool as a polar bear's toenails. Wout van Aert on Mathieu van der Poel. This was from the start of the year, or just before, I think, the Tour of Flanders in L'Equipe. Not liking each other is what motivates us. A bit of sh- a bit of a, a shot across the bows there. Peter, Once again, um, redolent of the cycling podcast. <laughs> yes. I'm Mark joking. I'm again. joking, of course. Mark Cavendish um, again. This was to Peter Sagan in stage six of the Tour de France. It wasn't reported at the time, but has since emerged um, by. Oh no! But it wasn't in his book, was it, oh, Daniel? By any oh, chance? I think it might have been actually. Um, still time. It's only that we're recording this on the seventeenth of December. Still time for a <laughs> stocking filler. Um, Mark Cavendish to to Peter Sagan. This was after an intermediate sprint on stage six of the Tour de France. It was a bit of an argy bargy between Sagan and Michael Morku and Cavendish. Do you want me to give you this jersey, do you? Do you want me to just take it off and give it to you? Do you want my gloves? Um, Does does this book come with a parental advisory notice? (laughs) I don't know. And then the final one, does this podcast, hopefully. Um, And then finally, Sonny Colbrelli. Um, Van der Poel is Van der Poel. A little bit of a twist on the usual. (laughs) The tour is the tour refrain. Clear winner then. Clear clear, winner for me. Clear winner, it's got to be... Mark Cavendish's <laughs> love letter to Peter Sagan at the Tour de France, hasn't it? <laughs> what did Sagan say in response yeah, to that? Yeah, I don't you know. know huh? We'll see, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, that's like Sagan crossed with Primoz Roglic. But anyway, um, our next award, please, Lionel. This is the Coffer Disappointing Award. Self-explanatory, really. And once again, the winners are Cofidis. Um, very predictable. <laughs> Poor old Cofidis. How many years is that they've they've won this award? When were they founded? 1996 or 97? Yeah, I mean, it's quite a streak now, isn't it? Um, oh, to be fair, fair. 12 to be wins. fair, they did win a World Tour race as well, didn't they? Uh, Victor Lafay won a stage at the Giro. Uh, Viviani won a few races, but you know, nothing at the Giro. Empty-handed at the Giro. And did get bronze medal at the Olympics in the Omnium as well, but that's not, a, not really a... Uh, a Cofidis performance. And as you said earlier, you know, Guillaume Martin bungeed his way from uh, second to ninth 
in both the tour and the Vuelta. And do, found doing... time to write a book on philosophy. So, you know. In, indeed, yeah. Um, but yeah, Cofidis. And then they look like a, a, a team that's a little bit out of its depth in the World Tour, really, doesn't it? I mean... Harsh, harsh. I think, uh, I think they're a bit of a... They're a stirring giant. Really? Um, yeah, I think they they... It's taken them a long time to to write their course, but I think they're in the process of doing that. I think they've signed some good riders for next year. Max Valshai, they picked up. Brian Cockar really needs to decide what he is, whether he's a pure sprinter or not, but he's going there. Um, Davide Chimolai as well will be helpful in the in the sort of sprint train, if not sprinting for himself. And Jon Izaguirre, I think, is a good signing. Mm, but I mean, they need to p- sort out their kit. Yeah. They, need, they, they need a revamp. Their, their kit looks faded and tired, doesn't it? And I think that that affects one's impression of the team. Yeah, the kit looks like it's been put together on clip art, doesn't it? Really. Um, Women's not. team coming next year? Women's team coming next year and a partnership with Decathlon, which has to augur well. <laughs> oh, that's got Daniel excited, hasn't it? That has. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. They'll, they'll not be short that's of kind of camp, camping equipment mallets cooking stoves cl- you know some kind of climbing equipment as well there seems to be a lot of that in decathlon doesn't there um but now maybe maybe a bit harsh but javelining javelining their way to success still a long way from their doping heyday you know of the 2000s <laughs> next category then next category the 2015 omelette het newsblad most memorable memeable. Oh, memeable sorry i didn't read that correctly you know what <laughs> meme is, Richard? showing my generation there <laughs> <laughs> tactical cock up this is a reference of course to the the um 2015 race where ian stannard stannard <laughs> ian stannard god uh, i'm uh, i'm applying my italian pronunciation across the board now Ian Stannard won the won the Newsblad outfoxing um, three Deconic Quick Step riders. Um, can you name them? Tom Bonin. Oh no, I can't. Uh, Nicky Terpstra and um, Vandenberg. Stein, Stein Vandenberg. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. There we go. Okay, so the contenders for this award this year: Belgium at the World Championships. Team UAE in the final stage of Tour de Basque Country. De Koenig quick step on stage 11 of the Giro d'Italia. That was a stage that I thought might feature in race of the year. That was the Montalcino stage, of course. Uh, Movistar on stage 20 of the Vuelta. Who could forget the Superman stage, as it's been dubbed. Ineos's four-pronged Tour de France attack. And the Dutch women at the World Championships and the Olympic Games. I would actually... Um, I would say the Olympics are a stronger contender for that than the World Championships. I don't think they got much wrong at the World Championships, although Daniel and I disagreed about that at the time. We should, I, I mean... Voss very close to winning. Ordinarily... And it would have been a, a tactical masterclass. I know you've covered the women's season and women. you've even done some women's awards in second podcast Femina, but I thought that their cock-ups were so egregious that they merited inclusion. Um even in yeah. certainly the Olympics, yeah, the Olympics definitely is up there with um, you know some of the the great tactical cock-ups of of all time. Although there were mitigating factors, 
Um, but what what do you think, Lionel? Do you have a strong favourite for that one? I mean, so many great contenders. Well, aren't there, really? I must admit, I I uh, think um, again, the stature of the race is what's important. I, I agree with you that the women's Olympic road race was ex- was an extraordinary miscalculation, but it was one of those. It was a fluky one, wasn't it? It was a you know once in a decade, perhaps even longer um, type uh, set of circumstances. I think the I think the biggest shambles was Belgium at the World Championships. And I remember being reasonably surprised. Daniel, you said you didn't think that they did too much wrong. But watching, again, I was just watching on TV. I wasn't there picking up the the, the vibes. Hadn't spoken to any of the riders or anything. But I thought they really got that wrong. Because I don't think I don't think Remco Evenepoel's role in the race was... Uh, well, he didn't do anything. It didn't do, it didn't soften up, it didn't help control, it didn't help set up. And then at the moment when the team really needed him, he was cooked. I mean, it was just a catalogue of errors. As well, far I don't as know, Lionel. I think but, there's a bit of revisionism there in the sense that if, as so often with these things, if, if Wout Van Aert had had the legs and won the race, which everyone thought he was going to win the race because he was the favourite, and then we would have been talking about a, a tactical masterclass by Belgium. And that's just the possibly. I mean, I did. Exactly. I did sort of venture this gently it, it came at the down time. To that Van Aert didn't have the legs. Yeah, but well, every every race comes down to that, then, doesn't it? To some extent, <laughs> to some extent, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. Um, but I think in terms of the world's the is a between... tactical race, isn't it? It is really, really tactical race with very fine margins and and errors made four hours out, three hours out can have. Um, more of an impact whereas i don't know stages it's much more kind of having to react on the hoof there's not so much of a sense of everybody knowing what's laid out in front of them maybe i don't know i think perhaps that's um overly I simplistic think, i don't I think know even the pool's even the pool's tactics i think unsettled his own team as well we could see that and, and i don't know how much if at all that affected van art but in the end van art just didn't have the legs to go with Philippe when he went and and had he had them and he'd gone with them and won the sprint then we'd be talking about the race in a completely different way yeah I mean I think only in two of these cases can you say that the cock up resulted in you know without too much discussion resulted in the the loss of the race and the, the result changing I think the the Dutch women in the Olympic road race and I think to be honest team UAE in the final stage of the tour of the Basque country they decided to or back Brandon McNulty and Tade Pogacar sort of stuck with him and that was what allowed Roglic to go down the road and I think you know I can understand why they did it because McNulty's a rider who hasn't had that many opportunities yet and he's very promising and you know it was it would have been a massive boost for his confidence if Pogacar had helped him to the win there but and it you know it's it's not the Tour de France it's not the most prestigious race in the world but I think that was that was a cock up. I mean tactically stopping on the side of the road when you're on course for a podium position as Miguel Angel Lopez did at the Vuelta. Not not a tactic I've seen work often. And riding uh, the wrong way. Didn't he even turn around <laughs> and ride the wrong way back down the route? I mean, doing the route, r- riding backwards is never, you know, the shrewd I mean, you're losing time on GC with every pedal stroke there, aren't you? That's the problem if you do ride not the wrong way. Not a good way. tactical decision, that. Um, um, next category, please, Daniel. Next category is the Kim and Kanye. That's Richard. That's Kim Kardashian. Uh, she's a reality TV star. Um, 
<laughs> who's mm. been famous for wow in the United States of America for TV. over ten years now. Kanye West, he's a rapper. Rap music is a form of um, of popular music that's a little like poetry. Um, Goodness me. Um, anyway, the Kim and Ka- Kim that Kardashian, the Kim and Kanye Love on the Rocks Award. Kim and Kanye um, are splitting up. Sadly, alas, um, they're getting a divorce. Remco and Wout. Well, we all know about that saga that's dragged on since the World Championships. Lots of broadsides being exchanged in the Belgian press. I'm still not resolved. Sam Bennett and Patrick Lefebvre, that was a, an ugly one, pretty one-sided. Um, Sam Bennett was pretty dignified um, in, well, in, in staying silent, really, as Patrick Lefebvre peppered his column in Het Newsblad with sort of insults veiled, veiled and not veiled. Remco and Joao Almeida at the Tour de France, at uh, the Giro d'Italia, that was more a Cold War, wasn't it? They never really said anything particularly antagonistic about each other, but we sensed there was tension. DSM and, well, assorted DSM riders. Um, we had Elan Van Vilder, who was very upset with DSM and has subsequently left them, gone to the Koenig Quickstep. Teish Benoit has left. Um, Søren Crow Anderson was supposedly upset with his team early in the year. Superman and Movistar, well, that was very much not just love on the rocks, but they've headed since headed for Splitsville, like Kim and Kanye. Thibaut Pino and cycling, um... Not too much explanation required, and I think this final was very unfair. Daniel Freeburn cycling. Would you like? Yeah, to I, I, I think you've got your. That? I think you've got your mojo back this year, Daniel. That's for sure. I don't think uh, I ever lost it, Lionel. I think this has become a, a trope, a meme that I don't like cycling. It's not true. Here was me. Here was me thinking that Daniel had actually added his own name there, but um, was it you, Lionel? <laughs> it was. It was actually only supposed to be a joke. I mean, it, it didn't necessarily have to make the shortlist. <laughs> but now, now we're all on stage and the the cameras panned in on the nominees, and Daniel's looking rather aggrieved. Uh, I feel I feel bad. <laughs> well, you should. So who's our winner? Who's our winner? There? It's a tough Lionel, one. This is one of the more competitive pick, pick categories, or, or isn't Daniel. it? Well, Daniel, Daniel Freeman cycling. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think? Uh, I mean, there have been some fairly nasty ones. The Sam Bennett and Patrick Lefebvre was very unedifying, wasn't it? Mm. It was quite nasty. Mm. I think um, there, there's categories here. And shocking, really, you know, a shocking turnaround from him winning the green jersey and you know winning on the Champs-Élysées and being the darling of the team only a year earlier. Um, it does It does show a kind of... It does show Lefebvre's ruthless streak, doesn't it? Which has been, you know partially in evidence even in the last few weeks when he's been talking about Mark Cavendish and whether he was going to sign on for another year with the team. You could see that that ruthless. I mean, he's like the Conservative Party, isn't he, Patrick Lefebvre? Um, he'll back a winner only as long as he's winning. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as Sam Bennett had had, a, had problems this year, had a, a knee injury, he was out the door faster than you could say something very fast. Well, what, a good this- job. what a good job that the, the Tour de France isn't starting in North Shropshire next year um niche niche joke there for british politics fans and, and the team the kind of quick step they they've created this image this persona of the wolf pack and i think they showed up that a, a, a very certain type or template of a kind of alpha male 
um, which you know I know some people will wince at and possibly rightly so but that character profile can thrive in that particular environment very macho environment and Sam Bennett is someone who I think you know we know and he's said himself is is a rider who has, has had sort of he's had kind of wobbles in his self-confidence over the years and even when he was winning stages at the Tour de France last year talked about needing to needing to become more confident and he's he needs nursing nourishing and I don't think well well we've seen the limitations of the wolf pack in terms of dealing with managing um, bringing the best out of a character like that so should we give it to Sam Bennett and Patrick Lefay? I mean Superman I mean I'm I'm loath not to I feel that Superman and Movistar will be aggrieved that they've not won. But <laughs> I think they deserve it. I think they deserve it. Yeah. And a mid-race meltdown is spectacular, isn't it? I mean, the the relationship fractured with, you know, still plenty of riding to be done. Um, yeah, that's a clear winner. Hello, beautiful cycling podcast listeners. This is Orla Shenoui dialing in from a very festive Amsterdam. Excuse the rattling, I'm on my bike as I speak. No high performance chisel here. I'm on the cargo bike with my son in the Christmas shopping up front. Um, my alternative award goes to Lizzie Dignan, not only for winning the inaugural Women's Prairie Bay. Had to stop to turn a corner. But for providing us with quotes to go on posters, to go on walls for years to come. And anyone who manages to match the blood on their hands with their nail polish is a badass mama in my book. Have a wonderful Christmas, everybody. And a fantastic new year. Switch off. Enjoy. Take time with your loved ones. And we'll see you in 2022. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to Science and Sport for their support of the cycling podcast since 2016. Uh, very grateful to them. And if you would like 25% off all your Science and Sport products, go to scienceandsport.com and at the checkout, enter the discount code SISCP25. SISCP25. You got a taste test for us, Lionel? Well, I was going to say, as this is an awards do, maybe there should be a sort of champagne flavoured gel, um, especially for this Good episode. Good idea. Uh, sparkling? Would it, would it be sparkling? I suppose it would, yeah. That would be give you a real pick-me-up in the middle of a ride, wouldn't we, it? We talked, didn't we, Lionel, at our wine tasting event the other day, which oh, has here become, we go again. become shrouded in mystery and the subject of great, yeah, yeah. Of great excitement. Um, about the great, the great redacted wine event. Yeah, we talked quite a lot oh, about the history. Well, the history of wine in cycling, and in particular, um, we mentioned we gave we told a few stories about um, champagne bidons being used in the sixties and seventies. There was certainly a period when the champagne bidon was quite fashionable and was was credited with reviving riders uh, mid-stage uh, Eddie Merckx in 1969 his probably most famous ever Tour de France stage win at Mohanx. Um he was supposedly revived by a champagne bead on handed by Loma Driessens his his direct sportive I mean if you need any proof that nutrition science has moved on a bit the, that is it isn't it really <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean <laughs> 
Well, um, science and sport all about fueling, of course, and that leads us neatly into our next award, which is of about fueling or not fueling of a different variety. Let's head over to Mitch Docker, who can reveal the winners of joint winners of the uh, Max Verstappen uh, Top Gear Annual Driving Award. I think you are the well. You've held this award, Richard, for the last what, eight years. I'm Lewis Hamilton. And uh, let's hear what Mitch had to say. A classic day, I guess, in the life of On Tour with the cycling podcast. I was a bit new to the game, but we headed off from the start. You know, lo and behold to me, I thought Richard had everything in control. He normally fills the car up. He knows where we're going. He's got the iPad. Well, I took over setting the iPad up. And I was like, these guys are pro. They know what they're doing. I just got to sit back and go along for the ride. Um, he did mention a couple of times we need to get fuel, but you know, I thought he knew all the gas stations along the way. We set off and we jumped on this one of those highways that just ne- does not have a petrol station. You know, when you're saying everyone's been in this situation, there'll be one, there'll be one, but there just wasn't. And then we played the inevitable, are we going to make it game? You know, frantically searching for the closest petrol station, wherever it was. We went off route, got to this one. We committed to going off route. And of course, just to add drama to the mix, we thought we we're going to make it. There it is. We can see it in the horizon. So we're like, let's just burn whatever's left in the tank now. We've made it. Of course, we roll up to this petrol station and it's closed. And we're like, oh, we're idiots. We were just like burning, you know, litres of petrol, just like being fools in this last kilometre. Now we're actually, excuse the language, screwed. We are seriously screwed now. This thing's been empty for for kilometres and kilometres. We just burned whatever vapour was left. And now it's like, I think it was like 30 kilometres to the next one. We're like, well, how's this ever going to happen? So we went on, you know, palms are sweaty, it was on, it got serious now, the joking was done and we arrived at this petrol station at the um, supermarket and it was a glorious moment, I tell you, if you've been in one of those situations, you feel like you've just saved the world or you've just dodged a bullet, I'm not sure if we embraced, but we should have embraced Richard and I, I'm sure we did and we went inside and uh, bought a victory tub of yogurt and a rubber toy for our kids, you know. As you do when you achieve such a feat. What a day. Wonderful to hear from Mitch Docker there. Um, reliving a, a, memorable, a memorable day on the Tour de France this year. We can look back on it now and chuckle. But at the time, it was a, it was a bit of a white knuckle ride. A memeable day, maybe. Because this has happened. <laughs> this does happen with quite alarming regularity. When you think of you know the years of experience we've got between us we've all got a story about almost running out of fuel i've I've had uh descents in the mountains where i've had to knock the car out of gear and just coast because i don't want to i don't want the engine to be engaged burning any more fuel um i remember being with francois once uh, and he was very sanguine about the fact that the the needle was on red and when i asked him why he wasn't bothered he said well it's it's not my problem i'm not driving (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, Francois and Sanguine go together like Daniel and his movie star casquette these days. I mean, uh, Francois wasn't actually with us that day. He was with Tom Kerry. And when we told him later about our uh, stressful day, he just kind of shrugged and said, yes, there are no no service stations on that on that auto route. As if, as if everybody should should have known that. Um, but anyway, we, we didn't know that. So um, that was... Uh, 
Tom yeah, Carey, who, if anyone knows him or is familiar with him, bears a, an extraordinary resemblance to the character of Kendall in Succession in the HBO hit drama. The, the character or oh, well, no, physical the physical resemblance? There's a physical yeah, resemblance. That's, extraordinary. That's yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, anyway, on, on with the next award, please. Daniel, what's the next award? The next award is the Mario Cipollini with or without Togas and Leopard Print Best Publicity Stunt or Coup of the Year. The nominees are <laughs> Lachlan Morton's Outdoor. Remco's Pizza Hut adverts. Have you seen those chaps? No. Remco! Remco! Zal maar eens gaan kijken, zeker? A volonté pizza buffet van 12 tot 2 voor maar 10 euro's bij Pizza Hut. Is he ordering uh, pizza for himself, but then eating Wout Van Aert's pizza from <laughs> off Van Aert's plate? I've never Is been that... to Pizza Hut. Have you? Long, long ago. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. I mean, yes, it's very yeah. authentic Italian-style pizzas, <laughs> Daniel. You'd love it. Um, they do a good Hawaiian. <laughs> I'd recommend the uh, what was the, what was the sort of sickly sauce that you put on the salad. I, I did. I used to enjoy the salad bar. I must admit, salad bar. The, eat all you want. The, yeah. Buffet. The president of the Napoli football team, Aurelio De Laurentiis, this week caused a scandal by admitting that he doesn't like Neapolitan pizza. This made all the papers in Italy. Um, anyway, on with the nominations. Um, uh, Mathieu Van der Poel's um, Raymond Poulidor tribute jersey, the Tour de France. Is another one, uh, Naira Quintana's lizard suit on uh, the Colombian TV. Um, Naira Quintana was a participant in the, I think the program is called, is called Quien es la Mascara? Who is the mask? Who's the mask singer? Um, and Naira was singing Rhythm of the Night in a lizard suit. <laughs> Um, the Izaguirre brothers and Peo Bilbao, Jose Barbeloki was also part of the, the quartet, um, singing the Basque song Alquera Beriak, which means some new opportunities on Basque TV. Marrastutako bidetik isiltasuna, aizearen norabidean. Puntu bati begira, galtzen dugu ingurua, eta bertan dauden kolorea. And then final nomination, Movistar's Netflix documentary season two. Mm. Mm. Some crackers Lo- there. Lots of, lots of great contenders there. Um, some serious, some less serious. I mean, I don't know yeah, how much I mean, Nairo's lizard suit yeah. has really enhanced his or his team's. You know, it's not really, it's not really punched through, really, has it? No. I mean, cyclists and reality TV type, uh, or you know, that kind of uh, light entertainment type thing. Uh, next year in the award, Nicholas Roach might be in for mm. signing up for Dancing with the Stars uh, in Ireland. Uh, looking forward to seeing whether. Um, you know, he, he should have been riding for Quick Step. Mm. That's, a, that's a dancing joke. Anyone? Anyone? Uh, mm. Brilliant. Um, mm. I think the the classiest of those was the the, the Matthew Van der Poel adore 
tribute jersey. I thought that was a nice touch, a particularly elegant jersey, the, the purple and yellow. Um, it did, mm. yeah, and it really it captured the imagination and um, everyone sort of got behind it because there were a few, I mean, I, I certainly rolled my eyes at some of the, the special edition Tour de France jerseys this year. I mean, there, there were a lot of teams weren't there, that, um, that unveiled new kits on the eve of the Tour and it became a bit of a trope but this one really stood out and it was in good taste and it looked really good and and it also was sort of fortunate to coincide with a really fantastic few days for for that team yeah uh, that would i mean I, honorable mention for lachlan martin his alt tour did get a lot of publicity and but what i liked about it was that martin himself uh, seemed almost oblivious to that in a way. He was just doing his thing, and all the 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 buzz around it wasn't really, in a way, his doing. Obviously, his team and sponsors were making the most of it. But I loved, in particular, the video that he made, uh, which uh, was almost destroyed by the sound of his bottom bracket on his bike. His bike was completely sounded completely destroyed. I, I admired his stoicism in the face of that. And the fact he just didn't care. I mean, this was terrible publicity for his sponsors, you'd have thought. And I don't know if that video then disappeared. But the impression I was left with was just of a guy just doing something he wanted to do and enjoyed doing. And so there's an authenticity to Lachlan Morton and what he does, I think, that can be lost a little bit sometimes in all the, the fanfare and the buzz around it as if he is also the architect of that, which I don't think he always is. He also bought some supermarket cassoulet in tins for his evening meals and cooked them up on his campfire. So that won uh, points from me. But Daniel, I mean, the, the, the needle on the Daniel Freeb approval ometer is often stuck on red, isn't it? But what, what's, tell me about the Remco Pizza Hut adverts. I've not actually seen it. What's he doing in it? Um, he's just sort of riding into a, or riding alongside a, a a car and the delivering the pizzas is he no no he just he ends up at a pizza hut and he then ends up at the i do know about pizza hut isn't there there's some kind of central sort of um pizza station in the middle of the restaurants where you kind of go is there a sort of a buffet that's a salad bar bar. yeah you can go and have whatever you want from the from from that bit yeah yeah i mean i must admit i must have as much sweet corn as you like i must i must admit i've just watched it on silent so i don't really know what the dialogue what is said and i don't really i can't really give marks on his acting um but I mean, it was fairly, it was, I, I'm, uh, it was fairly I'm surprised you could even see it through through your throne yeah as you watched it yeah um, yeah. um it was yeah. it, it was pretty sort of standard advertising through your there. skull ice yeah. cold on the daniel freeb approval on my so phone, it didn't so. it certainly didn't persuade you to to pay a visit to, to pizza hut so it didn't work on you i'll tell you what daniel when we get to napoli we'll find the best pizza hut they've got there <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll go and have an extra deep pan <laughs> excellent Hi everyone, Rose Manley of the Cycling Podcast Feminine here. As is customary for the podcast, I'm just going to straight up apologise for the football analogy right away. But this year I'd like to present the Gareth Southgate Award for overcoming utter public humiliation with spectacular winning feats to such an extent that people barely remember what for some could have been a career-defining blunder. Although, if we're being totally honest, poor old Gareth can probably only dream of winning his own award, if 
basically, if we're honest. So nominees, Annemiek van Floyten comes to mind for her mammoth celebrations for what turned out actually to be second place at the Olympic road race. But um, no one could ever really associate a champion like her with losing, however spectacular it was. No, the winner of the Gareth Southgate Award goes to Demi Vollering. Yes, we all saw those pictures of Vollering at Brabant's Appeal celebrating far too early. Proper fist in the air and Ruth Winder just snuck the win. Big embarrassment for her, but, well, you know, what a season she has had since. Winning Liège-Baston-Liège, winning La Course, winning the Women's Tour, and basically just being up there in pretty much every notable race or stage this season. So, chapeau to her, and Merry Christmas from me to all our lovely listeners. Hi, my name is Cesare Benedetti. I ride for Bora Hansgrohe. For the most underrated rider category... I would like to nominate uh, Stanisław Aniukowski, a Polish rider for Bingo Powers. He's got really big potential. Uh, he's got a big engine, and um, yeah, he hasn't he hasn't won this year, but uh, but he's for sure he's on his way. Uh, Mm, to to better results to 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 score some wins uh i had the chance to 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 race with him and uh also to to be a team of teammate of uh of his during the world championship and uh, he's really keen on learning this is something that uh, uh i can find uh, rarely nowadays with the with the young young riders and really can learn in, on improving and developing and uh, it, this was his first uh, season as a, in, uh, among the pros uh, with a very good calendar and uh, he raced he raced quite a lot and uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, this uh, the the program the race program he had this year uh, will help him to to improve from for 2022 season and uh, he scored some good results in uh, like in Tour of Turkey uh, in some in some good classics in uh, in Belgium he was uh, he was in the front even in the Benelux Tour uh, when the when the, there were splits in the crosswind uh, during the first stage, if I'm not wrong, uh, he was he was in the front among the among the best riders. And if you're in the front in those kind of races, uh, it means you've got great potential. And yeah, um, have an eye on him for for the next season. He was underrated this year, but uh, I'm sure that. Uh, People who work in cycling uh, knows about him, and uh, yeah, he's got a he's got a great career uh, in front of him if he keeps working in the way he did until now. Let's move on to the next award, please, Lionel. Can you introduce this one, please? Well, this is the Primoz Roglic Defeat from the Jaws of Victory Award, and what the nominations are: Primoz Roglic at Paris Nice. Matthew van der Poel at the Tour of Flanders, Matthew van der Poel at the Olympic mountain bike race, 
Brandon McNulty at the Tour of the Basque Country and Superman Lopez at the Vuelta. And I think we're going to hear from a couple of our contributors because great minds, great minds think alike, Daniel. This is Francois and Kate. For the Cycling Podcast Alternative Awards, I'd like to create uh, a new award called the Primoz Roglic Award. That award would go to riders spectacularly failing on the last day of a stage race. I mean, that's something that's very, well, not frequent, but quite common in cycling, that a major stage race is decided on the last day. And that's something that happens when it happens. Everybody remembers it because it's like mm, he, he nearly got there and then, you know, he lost. I mean, obviously, when Primoz Roglic lost the tour to Tadej Pogacar uh, on the last time trial, when everybody thought he had done it, uh, well, this remains in many ways as the most distinctive uh, feature in the career of Primoz Roglic, in spite of his Volta uh, victories and and the rest of his brilliant career. Um, But then, you know, I think that the the, the Primoz Roglic award uh, well, as makes sense, um, and in this sense, I would like to uh, award the Primoz Roglic Award for the 2021 season to uh, Primoz Roglic because he actually did almost even better than on the Tour de France in Paris Nice uh, uh, in 2021. I had the privilege to uh, do the uh, live feed for the Paris Nice. Uh, uh, official website, uh, and we uh, all watched in amazement when Roglic, who was leading um, Maximilian Charman by uh, 52 seconds into the last stage, crashed not once, not twice, but probably three times and maybe more, because after a while we just uh, lost count of the many crashes of Roglic that they finished more than three minutes ahead with his uh, shorts in tatters. And well, and lost Paris on the last day. It was so unbelievable, so spectacular that I think that Primoz Roglic is undoubtedly the uh, the deserving winner of this Primoz Roglic award. It's it's amazing when you think about it. Uh, Roglic has crashed many many times uh, last season. He's not the only one. I mean, where crashes have become uh, you know part of the cycling saga. I've always been part of it, but. I don't know, when you think of a ski jumper, who's, you know, main, I suppose, one of the main assets and one of the main gifts of a ski jumper is, is you know, to be, to be able to land properly after a, a jump or, or a crash. I mean, you know, Primoz Roglic has obviously lost some of his flair uh, when he turned to cycling. Um, regardless, uh, well, I think the Primoz Roglic Award goes... And the first one goes to Roglic himself. And um, I think it's an award uh, we can p- probably award every year. I mean, so thoughts and uh, suggestions if you think somebody uh, uh, deserves the uh, award better than Primoz. Hello, Cycling Podcast fans. This is Kate Wagner reporting in from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and looking forward to the start of a very cold right here, uh, January of 2022. Um, I would like to put forward for my award, the alternative Primoz Roglic Award, the award going to the writer who, after suffering a terrible and shocking defeat, 
is able to rise from the ashes and achieve great things. The winner of the alternative Primoz Roglic award goes to Gino Mater, who, after being shut down by Roglic himself in that infamous stage of Paris-Nice, was able to pick himself up, winning not only a stage in the Giro, but also one in the Tour de Suisse, as well as the white jersey in the Vuelta, a race in which he finished fifth on GC. It was a tight competition for the alternative Primoz Roglic award between Mater and Roglic himself, who returned battered from the tour and nonetheless became an Olympic gold medalist in the men's time trial, followed by, of course, a third consecutive Vuelta win. However, I found it fitting for the year to close out in some kind of sonata form, with Roglic in turn getting pipped at the line by none other than Gino Mater. So uh, are we agreed that Roglic is the winner then of the of the Primoz Roglic award? I think, I think he is. I think um, he's... He's definitely the strongest contender. Congratulations, Primoz. And we move on to the Tadej Pogacar victory from the Jaws of Defeat Award. Very similar to the previous award, but, but ever so slightly different. Um, victory from the Jaws of Defeat. Team DSM at the Vuelta. Antermarche at the Vuelta. Primoz Roglic and his various roglifications. Thinking particularly uh, Milano Torino. Um, Sage 11 at the Vuelta, uh, where he uh, he ended Magnus Court's dreams of winning that day, I think it was. And stage 7 of Pyrenees, where he obviously stole the win from uh, Gino Mader. Um, so the Tadej Pogacar award probably goes to Primoz Roglic. Primoz Roglic as well. Well done, Primoz. You're having a very successful uh, Cesaris. Um, the Ali Opi Omi award for most inappropriate intervention well i think i'm nominating the now infamous uh wine evening because from what i can <laughs> from what i can gather pretty much every comment made by either of you was an inappropriate intervention of some kind this is why the cycling podcast lawyers are combing through the uh the tapes from the other night deciding what we can and can't put out i think we might find that they're Unfortunately, been some technical difficulties with the audio, and um, I, I'm, I'm afraid that uh, it may well be lost. It may well be finally well, lost. The winner, in in the absence of that tape, is Patrick Lefebvre for his comments on Sam Bennett, for his comments on women's cycling, and for his comments on Mark Cavendish, and probably a few other comments as well. Um, can we have the next uh, award, please, Daniel? Uh, Ren, the Remco Vanderpool overreaching award i wasn't responsible in i didn't come up with this award i think it's slightly unfair um but anyway it, the nominees are remco vanderpool at the giro remco vanderpool at the worlds daniel freeman for his civic rise to the moon claim lionel bernie and the tour de cos <laughs> maybe lionel can explain that and richard uh, richard moore for his baguette under the arm attempted integration into french life and then peter sagan for his baguette <laughs> under the arm attempted integration into french life oh this is wonderful i want to hear richard interviewing peter sagan in french at next year's tour de france <laughs> after your immersive french <laughs> lessons Has for a, the, for, a um, fortnight richard I, I expect you're ahead of sagan in the has uh, has De, has De Gate made it into the public domain? To, to Vudrima Mayo, to Vudrima Mayo. <laughs> or do you think has Richard's encounters with Arno De Mar made it into the public domain? Or uh, besides, 
our retelling of it on, on the wine evening at the wine tasting. <laughs> Did you? That's another another my my exchange with Arnold Demar at the airport. Um, setting up an interview with Arnold Demar, my neighbour. It's going to happen. Watch this space. Hmm. So the winner of the award. Well, I think he has to go to Daniel Freib uh, for the Civikov comment, um, the uh, riding to the moon, altitude meters gained, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so, congratulations, Daniel. Uh, our cycling podcast casket will be in the post. Wonderful. So, sli- next award, slightly more Sorry. serious awards now. A few yeah. slightly more serious ah, awards well. and mm. more more carefully considered awards. Uh, the Allegra Stratton, that's another British political reference. The Allegra Stratton Best Domestic Award. A um, few very strong nominees here. Michael Morku, Danny Martinez, Dylan Van Bala, Tim de Klerk, Jan Tratnik, Filippo Ganna, Dries Davenens, and Anna van der Breggen. Again, um, so outstanding. Anna van der Breggen's performances this year that she makes it into, having already well, been, yeah. been it, this, nominated this, and awarded. Yeah, in, in the... she, she's, she's there for one specific uh, uh, ride at Liege, based on Liege, where she did turn herself into a domestique for Demi Vollering and rode fantastically well to set her up for the win. But she's not a domestique, obviously, by... That's not her day job. The others... The, the others generally are this is a jan hard tratnik. one isn't it yeah yeah jan tratnik do you see he's launched his own line of clothing that yes. kind of kind of goes against the grain of domestique a kind of you know a man in the shadows and he's also um, launched his own blog talking about his role as a domestique he's done his blog for a while which oh, is, is quite quite good yeah his blog's quite good but yeah the new the new line of clothing took me by surprise shall we say didn't see that coming from Jan Tratnik. Um, should maybe should maybe specify because some of these relate to specific races or specific performances. Danny Martinez was um, outstanding at the Giro d'Italia for Egan Bernal, really instrumental in Bernal winning that. Um, Filippo Ganna might surprise some people that he's included, but there were two really eye-catching rides from Ganna in the role of domestique at Milan San Remo, um, which. Disappointed me because I thought he was going to be, he should be Ineos's protected rider there, but he was fantastic, particularly on the Cipre San Poggio there. And at the Giro on the white road stage, stage 11, he really blew the, the race to bits for Bernal. And um, Dries Davenens, a fantastic assist for Julien Alaphilippe in stage one of the Tour de France. Um, Tratnik, I think most people remember his ride at the Olympics, don't they? Where he rode like about five national teams um, for Primoz Roglic and Tadej Pogacar to no avail, really. Mm. Yeah, that was an interesting one because Tratnik and Roglic are, are best friends, aren't they? And their their respective partners uh, were travelling together at the Vuelta, I think, and they're best friends as well. So it was really interesting, that performance, because I spoke to him about it at the Vuelta it was the Vuelta, wasn't it? He was riding the Giro, but he rode the Vuelta as well. And he, um, you know, it just riding for Roglic, riding the same team as Roglic and and indeed Pogacar um, at the Olympics really seemed to bring something extra out of him, he said. Um, and it's it's kind of a shame for him that those guys are not teammates in his professional team, if that's the sort of performance they can help inspire. 
Um, I mean, yeah, Tim DeClerc is a kind of, I think his his rides all year round, you know, for his team are are quite remarkable. But that stage nine um, ride to Tina to help Cavendish, and he was keeping an audio diary for us at the tour. We heard from him earlier on, of course, with his nomination for unsung hero. But a lot of people and Cavendish at the tour said that De Clerc was the unsung hero because. Well, he presented him with his green jersey at the finish of that stage. It was de Klerk who'd led that little group over all the climbs. And he told us in his audio diary how he gauged his effort to ride at what he thought was Cavendish's ideal pace. And it's a real skill to do that, I think. I mean, we don't think of de Klerk as a climber. We don't think of Cavendish as a climber. But um, Cavendish talked after us about how, just how strong he was on the climbs and how he was able to to tap out just the right kind of tempo for Cavendish to make the time limit and not um, blow up in the process. A really fine calculation. So I, I would I would vote for, I think, Tim de Klerk uh, for that stage nine at the Tour de France performance. Bit of a, I don't know if you guys bit, have bit any of thoughts. A, bit of a friend of the podcast as well, and we are eminently corruptible, so <laughs> let's give it to him. <laughs> What what uh, actually are the the Uranus Awards? What 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 are we presenting? Is it some kind of just bland piece of perspex with something you know the the name of the awards, the, a, a Mooney engraved on it, or shape of what? someone's posterior? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Prestigious. But who's but who's posterior? Oh, let's not get into that. I think we should move on. Hello to cycling podcast listeners across the globe. Lizzie Banks here and my alternative award for 2021 is in the spirit of all things alternative and named after the current kings of the alternative scene in the professional peloton, Lachlan Morton and Alex Howes. So my inaugural Morton and Howes Award is going to do, go to the two riders who did the biggest sends of 2021. The winner of the men's category is Tom Pidcock for his sensational gold medal winning ride at the Olympic mountain bike race. The winner of the women's category is Lizzie Dignan for her super slides and keeping it rubber side up in the Paris-Roubaix mud where she went on to win the inaugural race in a sensational style. So congratulations to Tom Pidcock and Lizzie Dignan. And happy holidays to all the Cycling Podcast listeners. Hey everyone at the Cycling Podcast, Ian Boswell here. I hope you're all having a wonderful holiday season and have a very happy new year. My alternative award is the Anna Vanderbregen Award. And this goes to professional cyclists who retire while still on top of the sport. If you look over Anna Vanderbregen's results this year, she won Omelette Het Newsblad at the beginning of the season. She won Flesh Wallone again. She won the Vuelta Burgos. She also won the Women's Giro. So she had an absolutely phenomenal year, but has decided to hang up her wheels and move on to something else. On the men's side, I am still going to keep this award titled the Anna Vanderbregen Award because she is absolutely still at the top of her game. And that award this year is going to go to Dan Martin, who is also retiring at the end of 2021. But he's still got it in him. He won a stage in the Giro. And thinking back from recent history, I think back to Alberto Contador, who during his last race as a pro rider won 
not the final stage of the 2017 Vuelta, but one on the Angleru before the final sprint stage in Madrid. And I have a lot of respect for professional athletes who can go out while still on top. So that is my alternative award, the Anna Vanderbregen Award. And we'll see who may be in contention for this in 2022. Happy holidays and wonderful new year to all of you. Ciao. Moving on, next category, please, Lionel. The Ricky Martin Breakout Star Award. I coined the name of this. I came up with the name of this award because I was trying to think when you chaps might have been vaguely aware of what was going on in, last been vaguely aware of what was going on in pop music. I think it was probably about 1995 and I would say uh, Ricky Martin uh, with Undos Tres Maria was, was the breakout star of 1995 in pop music. Wow, how little you know about either of us. I mean... Anyway, I mean, um, yeah, I knew I was wasting my time with even, you know, even something from 10 years ago, Ariana Grande or, you know, I knew anyway. Well, you'd be surprised. I mean, all, I mean all, there are lots of contenders for this award. Um, and one of them, well, one of them has been nominated as the most underrated writer of the year as well by Connor Swift. Shall we hear his nomination? Then we'll hear the rest of the contenders. Hi, guys. Connor Swift here, writer for RK Samsic. And I'd just like to nominate uh, someone as the most underrated rider. Well, this guy is not really underrated. He's uh, pretty highly rated, but I feel like he kind of slips under the radar. He's not really someone, you know, that posts uh, a lot or does a lot of interviews. So you don't really see much of him on social media, but the, the season that he's had is just pretty incredible. And um, yeah, He's a phenomenal rider, uh, world-class rider. And that guy, for me, would be Ethan Hayter, you know, a British lad. Uh, still still young guy, he's 23. And uh, in his, uh, I think it's his second year in, in the Pro Peloton. He's had uh, around eight or nine professional wins, which is just uh, just phenomenal. You know, he's, he's won uh, the GC at Tour of Norway. Uh, almost came away with a win at uh, Tour of Britain, you know, battling it out with uh, Van Aert. And then he's had numerous stage wins uh, along the season. Top 10 in the World Championships individual time trial. Um, yeah. And then if you look at his uh, UCI world ranking, he's he's 28. So, uh, yeah, absolutely uh, weapon of a rider and uh, someone, you know, that's going to be around for a lot of years and someone with a massive talent and can pretty much, you know, do it all, sprints, time trials, he can climb, can win GCs, uh, he's phenomenal on the track, you know, world champion on the track recently, been to the Olympics for the team pursuit, so uh, for me, uh, you know, if there's one guy, you know, that kind of uh, doesn't, you know, make the headlines of, you know, how big he should really be in the in the peloton and the massive threat that he is, you know, to other teams and being capable of winning races, I'd say, uh, yeah, it's Ethan Hayter. Cheers. Well, Ethan Hayter is joined uh, with the other nominees, Jonas Vingegaard, Michael Storer, Tom Pidcock, Biniam Germay, Florian Vermeersch, Alessandro Corvi, the mayor, that's right, Clement Champoussin, Jay Vine, Ben O'Connor and Lucky Lorenzo. Yeah, we should say that some of the they're at slightly different stages of their career in the sense that some of them are a near pro, some of them are not. But sort of thought that for all of those riders, this was the first year when, well, when they, when they really did break through. Um, 
in in different ways. Um, I've, I mean, Vingegaard in terms of qualitatively, in terms of the caliber of his result and to finish on the podium of the Tour de France, you, I suppose he'd be the outstanding con- contender. But um, on the other hand, uh, I mean, you, you guys know I've been I've been tipping Michael Storer for great things for a few years, and his has been a sort of slow kind of gestation before his his breakthrough. But that really did come at the Volta Espana with two fantastic stage wins there. Yeah, it's a very difficult one. This um, Tom Pitcock as well. Uh, you know, you forget how young he is because he seems to have been around forever. But he just turned pro really this year, and not even at the start of the year, but in March, and almost immediately um, produced some pretty outstanding performances. I mean, when you think that he, you know, went toe to toe with Wout Van Aert, at, uh, Brabantse Pale beat him there. Uh, just beaten in a photo finish at Amstel Gold Race. You know, that's Wout van Aert he's up against there. And uh, those those results, those performances were pretty amazing. For yeah, anyway. I mean, in, in terms of breakout, I mean, Tom Pidcock's, you know, he's broken out in the fashion of somebody jumping out of a box uh, Although, at a surprise at a surprise birthday party, whereas Michael Storer has broken through in the manner of somebody sort of clambering out of a tent on a soggy morning with his with his legs in the wrong legs of his trousers. Um, but, but, you know, <laughs> so, no, what's Vingegaard done? Vingegaard has kind of uh, entered the room with a you know a hello been, and then shut been, the door again, and then he's really properly entered this time because he he's squatting. He was, in the Copenhagen, in a Copenhagen branch of decathlon for the last two years, and just peeked out out of one of the tents, and yeah, he's been wearing a Primoz Roglic suit, and then just peeled it off and ripped off the mask and appeared. Yeah, I mean P- Pidcock, he announced himself on the second day as a road ra- rider in the elite level, didn't he? I mean, podium at Kerner, Brussels Kerner, and then won a semi-classic without getting into the, sort of the, the ins and outs of the various definitions and um, was, a, was a feature in the monuments. But, I mean, But on the other hand, uh, to me, Storer's, it, it's kind of, um, this might sound paradoxical, but Storer's breakout seems, was more striking because Pidcock's, it feels like there was been, there's been this low kind of hum uh, or sort of crescendo of expectation um, around Pidcock and his career and him turning pro for a long time. So it was almost like we, we could we saw that one coming, whereas someone like Storer or Florian Vermeersch, they were quite um, quite shocking sort of um, emergence of, of those two riders. Would you agree? Yeah, they, they, yeah, I definitely agree with the low rumble of Tom Pidcock kind of coming along, um, whereas Storer was a surprise. More, and Vingegaard was a bit of a was a shock, although you know anyone who followed the Vuelta very closely in 2020 would have seen how impressive mm. he was there. But was, certainly, no one expected him to finish on the podium at the Tour de France. And I was reminded uh, just recently of Vingegaard's performances in the time trials. He's such a, a, a small, slight, sort of almost scrawny-looking figure. Um, his performances in the time trials were just exceptional at the Tour, and. Uh, yeah, a lot of people thinking he could be the he could be the guy um, in the future. Take on Pogacar. So a dead heat then, really, between about three dead or heat. four of the breakout. Between riders. all of them. We, well we, done. We can't have a dead heat on this category, though, can we? So we've got to pick somebody. We've got to pick somebody for the cycling podcast male rider of the year. The nominations. 
Oh, well, this is the main category. This really, is, this, this is, is the this is the one we've been building up to. This is so where the, you, you get a slightly larger engraved Perspex award with a the outline of a of a bottom on it. <laughs> <laughs> Male Rider of the Year. The contenders are Pog, Rog, Philippe, Wout van Aert, Matthew van der Poel. Mark Cavendish, Sonny Colbrelli. I mean, if we're going to be serious for a moment, I, 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 it has to be Tadej Pogacar. Yeah, it really. has to be. I was um, not to not to call out our friends at Ned Bolting's The Road Book, but to call out our friends at Ned Bolting's The Road Book, I was absolutely astonished when um, they awarded Julien Alaphilippe. He has a, a much more a much more illustrious um, jury than us three, um, our some motley um, triumvirate, but um, yeah, they chose Julien Alaphilippe, which I could not agree with. I don't want to cast aspersions, but maybe they made their decision before Il Lombardia um possibly who knows but um because that that really put the put the seal on it didn't it I think Lombardia I mean you could argue that already um with Liège Bastogne Liège and the Tour de France uh, he was already the, the 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 main candidate but yeah I mean what what a season I mean one of the one of the great seasons so you can't really argue with it and I'm I'm already my mouth is watering, really, at the prospect of him riding the Tour of Flanders next year. Mm. Because as we were saying in last week's podcast, he's one of these riders, um, and there are a lot of them at the moment, who ride every race to win. He's not going to the Tour of Flanders to get experience, to ride around or to help somebody else. He's going there. He'll be going there to try and get a result and see what he can do. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. With an award as prestigious as the Cycling Podcast inaugural Male Rider of the Year Award, as this will undoubtedly become up there with the, the Velo d'Or and the Flandrian of the Year and that kind of thing, I think you have to go for the obvious um, rather than the sort of left field or hipster. And um, Pogacar winning the Tour and Two Monuments is uh, Eddie Merckx-esque, as I said in a recent episode. So... Yeah, no, no contest for the winner. But Daniel, yeah, second or third? What do second you reckon? Uh, really, really difficult. Um, you can make you know, a case I, for any of them, really, yeah, can't you? Because I think you, I think one way to split them is to measure them against what would have been their objectives and their hopes going into the season. And there are some of these riders that met or exceeded those goals and some you know you could argue that Wout van Aert to not win a monument I know he won Amstel gold but and he didn't win the world championships didn't win a gold medal at the Olympics you could say that he ultimately fell short of his own object although he overachieved in other ways so um, I think you'd have to look at Cavendish Colbrelli well, Roglic and Alaphilippe I, I can't really split those got those four I, th- I think I'd have Van Aert and 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 Alaphilippe on my podium. Okay. I have more consensus there than on the second podcast, Femina, where Lizzie Banks and I argued about these equivalent awards for the female riders. But you can go back and listen to the most recent episode of that to hear that. Do we have any other awards, chaps? Well, I was going to gonna say, normally at the end of the Oscars, you know, they do, they do all the ones that they show on TV and then there's a kind of rapid roll through of the, I don't know, you know, best best selector of trousers in a musical or you know smartest haircut amongst um supporting actors um so we've got a couple of 
cycling podcast specifics which would normally be my home territory here best hotel and golden knife and fork but my experience this year was pretty limited um so over to you chaps really uh, pick a winner or, or a couple of winners or however you want to award best hotel what would best hotel be um rainbow pillow i don't know <laughs> um well, the rainbow curtains right <laughs> um i well, I mean, several from the Giro, and I think you'll mention these, Daniel, but se- several from the Giro, difficult to, to pick out. Um, Daniel Daniel always does a very good job of picking nice hotels at the Giro. At the Tour, I picked out a, a very special-looking place, Chateau Le bois um, which was for Lionel's birthday. Uh, sadly, Lionel couldn't make it, but we had a fantastic time. And... Uh, <laughs> And a really nice meal. And it was a quite a quirky place. Um, it had been in a family for about 100 years. And, well, I talk a bit about this in the uh, in our diary from the 2021 Tour de France result for Friends of the Podcast this week. So if you're a friend of the podcast, you can hear a bit more about that place. It's what uh, I would have wanted, Rich, ever, you yeah, having a good time. Yeah, that's what we said. We, we yeah. did talk about maybe maybe <laughs> cancelling and going somewhere else. And we're like, no, definitely Lionel would have wanted us to, to push the battle out and have a... A nice time. And also in that tour, you were there for Chateau Maurice um, with Robert Eden. Uh, we had a very nice meal in his restaurant and drank some of his lovely wine near, um, we were near Carcassonne, weren't we? Uh, and that was that was a very memorable evening and f- a lot of fun. Yeah, just a couple I'll mention. Best Hotel, uh, struggled with this, but... One that surprised me was a place called Le Prime Alture, which was a, it's a winery and a sort of entrepot pavese wine um, producing area south of Milan. If ever you're close to Milan, but you want to stay, um, you know, an hour or so from Milan, on the way to somewhere else, that was a, that's a great option. A place called Casteggio, a fantastic view. You'll probably remember it, Rich. We sat on a a terrace overlooking or the Po Valley had some lovely um, Pinot Noir, Pinot Nero um, produced on the property. That was fantastic. So nice, in fact, that I took my girlfriend there after the Giro. And then, as far as meals were concerned, a really surprising one, um, a place called Can- um, Cañitas Maite in Casas Ibanez, um, which was a, it's a kind of one-horse town close to Albacete, not a very sort of fashionable part of Spain and um, a really surprising sort of gastronomic destination restaurant um, run by two young brothers. Um, really fantastic. And home of or purveyors of the the greatest croquetas in the world, as I talked about on the podcast at the time. They've been voted the best croquetas in the world. Well, chaps, is it about to wrap up our Cesares? Um, Cesares. And it, Cesare's, sorry, Cesare's. Um, Cesare Benedetti did nominate his uh, bus driver as his unsung hero earlier in the episode. Uh, a little postscript to that. He mentions that the the bus driver's moving on, the Slovenian bus driver's moving to a different team. He told me that the team he's moving to is, guess, Team Ineos. They can't even leave the best bus drivers alone. No. So he's off to Team Ineos. I mean, if you're year. if you're driving a big bus, I mean, you want to drive the biggest bus that consumes the most fuel. And all um, right, yeah. I mean, uh, let's leave. <laughs> uh, so I want to just end on a on a, a very lovely note. Really, um, I I received a very nice card from somebody called Caroline, who um, is a listen to the podcast, and she had asked 
Ian Boswell, who's her neighbour, uh, to if he could get her uh, the poster from Pirate Bay Fam. So Ian asked me, and I asked ASO, and our poster was sent to her from Pirate Bay Fam, and she wrote me this lovely card. Um, in the spring of 2018, my daughter Francesca and I moved to an old farmhouse in Vermont, less than a mile from a lovely young couple. It was months before we finally got to know Ian as he was training and racing in Europe. I've never been a sports fan. My family's insane devotion to American football completely skipped me. I imagined watching cycling would be akin to watching paint dry. Still, here was this lovely young man. It seemed only polite to give him and his team a follow. So here we are in late 2021. And I am a devoted and grateful friend of the podcast with a daughter for whom cycling has also become a passion. Please give my warmest regards to Lionel and Daniel, who also keep me company on my drive to work. So thank you very much for that, Caroline. That filled me with festive cheer. And I know it did Lionel and Daniel as well. And it seemed like a nice note to end this final episode or final regular episode of 2021 on. Chaps, what are your plans for Christmas? Quiet family Christmas, Richard, I think. I mean, uh, the UK is plummeting towards uh, some form of unofficial restrictions, it feels like. We're being encouraged to carry on. Christmas is not cancelled. Just don't mix with anyone or do anything or go anywhere, seems to be the message from the top. So So we will be staying fairly close to home. And I guess I, I should have I should have read that card out after asking what you nah, would do for Christmas. Like. But, but, but that's that, that to me that's perfect. It would be it would no. be a very very pleasant food. I've got some wine. Got some some more wine uh, coming from Divine Cellars. Uh, hopefully I, I, as well. I've got some uh, wine coming from Chateau Maurice. That I just ordered. Have you? Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, uh, on front on Francois's recommendation. So yeah, no, I'm looking forward to looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing the reaction to our Christmas selection box as well, which will be released between Christmas and New Year daily. Indeed, yeah. I mean, among the episodes, ten years of Green Edge, um, J- the James Shaw story will be will be uh, lamenting the cycling magazines, as as I said earlier, and Mick Bennett features in their Christmas selection box as well, uh, an intimate chat on a park bench with Mick Bennett. Is what I believe it is. Um, so lots to look forward to. And Daniel, are you going to have a, a Merry Christmas? Well, I hope so, Richard. Me having a Merry Christmas, a very Merry Christmas, is slightly dependent on, contingent on Premier League football not being cancelled. I'm slightly worried oh. about that. I'm slightly worried that um, it's all the games are going to be called off due to COVID, which, you know, it's, um, I know this. you'll not approve of this, mm. Richard. You'll wince at this, but it's a big part of my Christmas watching um, watching football so otherwise I'll be um, with my family in the UK sister and parents and yeah looking forward to that nice great and you well, Richard have a, what, what's, well, what will oh, be on the, the French country kitchen table on Christmas well, Day well we, we friends of ours from the UK were supposed to be visiting this weekend for the week up to Christmas that had to be cancelled because now people are not allowed to travel from the UK to France, um, really. And our trip back to Scotland just after Christmas also looks in serious jeopardy because, well, we're not allowed to travel. So it doesn't look like we'll be able to go. So I woke up yesterday morning looking forward to a very exciting, action-packed, fun-filled two weeks. And now that's all gone. And, and so you're too I late. The, the whole of Picardy is sold out of turkeys and geese and, and all other yeah, types I'm just of Christmassy gonna, 
Make I'm just going to read Caroline's card every day to cheer myself up. <laughs> um, but I'm sure we'll be back in 2022 uh, with the all the usual stuff. Late late January, mid, mid to late January, we'll be returning. But lots over the festive period to keep your ears full of cycling podcast. So that's it. Thank you very much. And Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to everybody. Merry and thanks Christmas very much for, for listening. Yeah. Merry Christmas to all our listeners. Well, since it is our final regular podcast of 2021, we must say a few big thank yous. First of all, to our brilliant team of producers, Tom Wally, Will Jones, John Mooney, Adam Bowie and Hugh Owen, a new producer for us this year. Hugh, welcome to the team and thank you very much. To our presenters across all our shows, Cycling Podcast Femina, Service Course, Explore and the Cycling Podcast, Orla Shinoui, Lizzie Banks, Rose Manley, Francois Tomaso. Kate Wagner, Mitch Docker, Brian Nygaard and Ian Boswell. A huge thank you to all of you. A big thanks also to David Luxton and his team at David Luxton Associates, including, of course, Rebecca Winfield. Thank you very much to you. Thanks to Alistair Lloyd-Jones, who's helped us a lot this year on the marketing and social media side of things and helping us to think about the podcast. Thank you, Alistair. Thanks to our sponsors, Super Sapiens and Science and Sport. Very grateful to them for their support. Thanks to our Audioboom, our platform, who we've been with from the start um, and have always been fantastic with us. Thanks to them. Thanks to Simon Scarsbrook, our illustrator, and to Simon Gill, our photographer. And thanks very much to you, our listeners. Um, Thanks for tuning in in 2021. Have a great Christmas and a happy new year. And we'll see you in 2022. This is a very encouraging first episode, Tom. Very uh, <laughs> it's happy, isn't it? It's uplifting. For Welcome me. to season two. <laughs> Listen to how shit my summer's been. Big news. The Garrett Thomas Cycling Club is back for season two with me, Garrett Thomas. And meet on Fordyce. We've got more big name guests like Bradley Wiggins. You know, you've got to be a real ruthless <laughs> as a cyclist, and I realise that. You know, <laughs> you have to be. You become a horrible person at times. And Tade Pogacar. You possibly seem even more relaxed than G. I don't know if I'm more relaxed than him. Now I'm pretty nervous for this podcast. And G's Welsh mates too, like George North. How was that for an intro? Do you like it? That's the worst introduction. That is the worst. Half of that was absolute rubbish. Can we start again? This is not the right <laughs> intro for me, I don't feel like. And unfortunately, more crashes. Oh, wait, hang on. We're not talking about that word on this pod. No, we're not. Just search for the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Come and join us. Everyone's welcome. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.